Okay, so listen, um, I, we, we actually, Tim and I, we were talking this week in the coffee shop, and um, I, I think I told him I felt like the last message, last week we talked about carrying the glory. We kicked off this series called Wonder, um, and, and we're talking about the kabod of God, the wonder of God, the glory of God, and the weightiness of it. And I just said, like, I felt like last Sunday would have been a great, like a walk-off home run. Right, And I'm not bragging on my preaching ability. I just, the way that God orchestrated the whole day, it was like, that would have been a great day to be like, y'all, I'm out. And just drop the mic and go. And then I woke up on Monday and was like, oh, I got I to gotta get another sermon ready. Right? Like, we got, we're, we're still going, right? Like, but it was, we, we joked about, I could probably hit play for the next three Sundays. And we could listen to that message again, and God could give us something else. And if you haven't heard it yet, then this should whet your appetite to go to YouTube or to the podcast in the app and listen to that message again. But we're talking about how weighty it is to carry the glory of God. And yet that is what we're called to do, right? So this morning, as we kind of progress into this wonder series, we're going to talk about stewarding the glory. Right? So we, we, got, we got to carry it, but how do we steward that glory? Um, and I want you to stand again as we read this scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. Um, it's going to sound like kind of a weird scripture, a weird passage to pick for this particular message, but I will explain it, and then we will live it out. Turn to the person next to you and say, get your money ready. Are you all okay with that? I mean, I know some of y'all are like, I, this is why I don't go to church, because they always ask for money. Guess what we never ask for? Money. Except one Sunday a year. We give you plenty of warning. We tell you to come prepared, and we expect you to give. All right? This is the only time you'll ever hear us. We don't pass offering plates. They're, we stick them on the wall and trust that the love of God will compel you to give to God. Right? We don't ask you for money. And the, and the one time of the year that we ask you to give, we take all the money that you give and we give it away. Because God will take care of us if we do what he's told us to do. All right? We're going to steward the glory. Matthew chapter 10, verses, I was, man, I was getting fired up right there. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8 says this. These 12, and he had just listed the 12 names of the disciples, his, his original apostles. By the way, um, go on our website look back a couple years and find a series called Party of Twelve. And I would encourage you to go and listen to that series again. It was something God put in our heart to preach before the election and how God takes people that are completely different and calls them together to follow him, right? So that's the 12 he's talking about, 12 guys that really didn't like each other, didn't really get along, fought a lot. If you've seen The Chosen, you've seen it lived out. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't have time to preach it, but you better know where you're supposed to go, and you better know who you're supposed to go to. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. So if you've asked God, what do I tell people? This is it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Not is coming, not might come, but has come. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Here's our phrase for today. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Father, I'm asking for the next few moments that you would speak through me and that anything that isn't from you, like the mic would cut off, batteries would die, people wouldn't hear it, whatever, but everything that is from you, man, that you would communicate clearly right now so that we can steward the glory, the presence, the blessing of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can sit down. Um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I was going to get around to say I'm going to be all over the place today. That's not really true. Um, I did something I don't normally do. I, I actually went back to, to 2013 and pulled up the sermon that I preached at the very first, the very first Sunday that we did the Big Give. It's like, I could just do that, right? But there were some things in there that I want to make sure that I share with you as we go through this passage of Scripture. Freely you have received, <clears throat> freely give. So let's do some seminary studying. Are you ready? Let's talk about a Greek word. The Greek word for freely is Dorian. Turn to the person next to you and say Dorian. That's the Greek word, okay? So when he said, freely you have received, freely give, Jesus said, Dorian you have received, Dorian give, okay? And here's what that word means. Literally, it means gratuitously. Any servers in the house, you wait on tables or you have waited on tables in the past, raise your hands high. The current servers need to see that they can survive, right? You will survive. Um, a gratuitously, that's where we get our word gratuity from tip right so some of you have a reputation because I have a daughter that serves I mean I don't mean you personally everybody breathe right so my daughter loves all y'all if you go to Pete's Antica you'll see her she might wait on you she loves it when you come I'm just saying but as a server Christians have a reputation nobody wants to work Sunday Let that sink in for a second. Ask a server why they don't want to serve on Sunday, and they will say, because that's when the church people come. And they are grumpy, and they are, do you want to say it? Oh. I'm going to say that into the microphone, because you didn't all hear that. Natasha said they called it the triple C crowd. Cheap cranky Christians. When I was youth pastoring in Lake Wiley, South Carolina, um, we went to Christian, the Christian Music Festival at Carowinds, which was a mistake, right? Long lines, hot, not my thing. I mean, I was a youth pastor for two decades. Not, that was the one thing I did not like, right? Ugh. And I remember um, standing in the back watching because we're in a big amphitheater for like the the big whoever they brought in for the big concert and i'm watching ushers that are working the crowd that go to my church and i literally would watch youth pastors lead their youth groups up to this place where the server the, the usher was and i'd watch the usher do this which means no you can't come here this is not where you're supposed to sit. Go back there. And I watched that entire youth group follow their youth pastor all the way to the back, around the people, to the other side, to try to get in on the other side. What in the world? 
And then I talked to the ushers later and said, it's like, what was up with that? And he said, oh, man. He said, I'll tell you, I, people don't like to work Christian Music Day. They would rather work Country Music Day. Which I'm like, what? Is country music even real? <laughs> is it? It is real, isn't it? I was just trying to see which side was, I should preach to, right? But they were like, I mean, drunk country music fans are nicer than Christians at Christian Music Day. All that to say, when I read words like gratuitously, like this should, we're going to talk about, this should mark the church. Servers should want to work on Sunday. Because the Christians are coming to, serve, to to eat here, and they're going to tip me well. My favorite tipping story, I'm not trying to condemn you about tipping, but may, I think that's where we are right now, so let's, let's just go with it, right? My favorite story about tipping was this man who said, like, he tips before the meal comes. Because God convicted him and said, um, listen, here's the deal. I don't make you earn my grace. Why are you making them earn your tip? So he would tell them, listen, I'm tipping you whatever amount it was, like 10%, 15%, 20%. I'm tipping you. I've already done it. You can't mess it up. Now, if I might give you a lot more than that, but you're getting that. And we, we approach it that way now. Like we, don't always, we don't tell them necessarily, but we just go in and go, like, if the service stinks, we have a minimum. They're still getting tipped, right? Because we should be marked by generosity. And I'm not saying it to lift us up. Like, that's just how we approach it. Because we see this as a great opportunity to express the grace of God to people. So it means gratuitously, freely you have received, freely give. If you dig even further into that Greek word, it literally means without a cause. John chapter 15, verse 25 um, I'll just paraphrase it. Jesus is speaking about people who hate him, and he says these words. They hated me without reason. And that phrase, without reason, is our Greek word that he used here for freely, you receive, freely give. In other words, give to the point that it makes no sense. Give without reason. <laughs> and some of y'all are like, type A, 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 you're the budget people in your family? And you heard me say that, and you're like, you look at your spouse going, no, 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 we're not living that part out. <laughs> no, no, we're going to keep it within reason, right? It's not that Jesus is against budgets or plans or anything like that. I would even say that it's possible that what Jesus is saying is budget so you have the freedom to give without reason, right? Prepare for that. Our giving <clears throat> sorry, is to be marked like that, they gave and it made no sense, which made me think of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, 3. The Macedonians, it says that they gave more than they were able. I've, I've mentioned this before. I went through a season, and I made it a short season, but I went through a season where um, I felt like God told me back when I used to carry a wallet, this might be why I don't carry a wallet anymore, this story. But I, I would, like if I was at a church or I was somewhere and they took up a love offering, I would open up my wallet 
and if I and I would give like a one or a five or whatever it was. And I went through the season where I felt like God told me pick the bigger bill. He decided to teach me that on a day when I had a one and a twenty, and I was like, I needed the twenty, right? And I reached in and got the one, and he said, No, 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 pick the bigger bill. Right? I guess I'll be going to the dollar menu and getting one thing if I can find four pennies in my car, right? <clears throat> I was in that see I was in that for a season where God just and it suddenly it kind of became I went through a to be honest, I went through a season where I just started carrying smaller bills, like ones and fives, right? <clears throat> but then I got to it became such a joy that it was like I just made sure I had a bigger bill just in case, right? Like, give the bigger bill. Do it to the point that it makes no sense. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Give in such a way that your tip doesn't make any sense to the point where the server would go back to the other servers and say, I was the worst server they've ever had, and look what they still gave me. There must be something different about these people. Do it on a Sunday, and they'll start thinking that church people are nice. We'll lose the 3C thing, right? Mark your life in that way is what Jesus is saying. Show me a Christian who isn't marked by generosity, and I'll show you a Christian who thinks that he or she has outgrown the gospel. And here's why. If you're making notes, just write this phrase down. This will be our big idea. Hold on. I know what you're thinking. How many times will he clear his throat before he drinks that water? I'm just doing it to mess with you. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> Write this down. The greatest acts of generosity flow from the greatest awareness of need. I'll say it again. The greatest acts of generosity flow from the greatest awareness of need. Now, let me break this down for you. It doesn't mean that when we're aware of somebody else's need, that that prompts us to do great acts of generosity. Would you agree with that? Well, you have to. Because I could present some great needs to you right now, and you might still just give a dollar. Are, are y'all okay? Let me disclaimer this real quickly. You're the most generous church I've ever been around. Literally. Um... Our finance team would be like, dude, say that again, right? Yeah, you're the most generous church I've ever been around. I, I'm, I'm amazed, I'm always amazed at how you give when we don't pass offering plates. Like, literally, we never ask you to give, and it blows us away. So, like, this is not a you better get your act together thing. This is just a challenge, like, let's just think honestly, right? about how we as human beings typically respond to a need. So if it's just knowing there's a need, if that's what all it took to prompt us to be generous, then you wouldn't drive past the people that are holding signs at stoplights. I, I drive past them too. My point is that we don't do great acts of generosity because we have a great awareness of need somebody else's need, what prompts the great act of generosity is when we have a great awareness of our own need. 
I, I thought about showing you some videos. You could just Google them and find them on the web. But I love when somebody shoots a video of how they, they give a homeless person a meal, and then they, they video as the homeless person goes to another homeless person and shares the meal. Right? Because the one homeless person is aware of his or her need. And he recognizes or she recognizes that that other person has the same need. And so now they have a common solution and they share that healing. Does that make sense? But you could give a free meal to somebody who isn't homeless. And they could literally walk past a homeless person while they eat the meal that you just gave them. And this is not a sermon about homeless people. This is about generosity, right? And if you need biblical proof that being aware of somebody else's need does not always prompt great acts of generosity, just read the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Because a Levite and a priest saw the need and walked past it. Because they had to get to church. This is why the people don't like to serve Christians, there's an obvious need, and you ignored it to get to your thing. But the Good Samaritan, who knew what it was like to be ignored, he recognized his need, saw the need, and met it. Okay. Where should we go from here? Oh, I know. Let me give you some stats. This is from back when we first started doing... Um, the big give. I love these stories. Hold on, let me find them. Um, of great people, rich people doing amazing things. Um, we talked about Oprah Winfrey. Um, she was the first one that started using the term big give. Y'all have heard of Oprah? Okay. Is she still around? Okay. I, I knew she was. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to engage y'all because you're so quiet right now because I'm talking about money. I get it. You're Squeezing a chair with your backside. Um, that's that weird noise that everybody keeps hearing. They're like, what is that noise? It's your backside eating the chair is what's happening right now. Um, and I'm, I mean, if you're new here, that's a lot of maturity because I said backside. You should clap for me. That's pretty impressive. But um, Oprah Winfrey, she did a thing called The Big Give. Um, so... She would, like, do, like, all I remember is, like, you get a car, and you get a car. Remember these? You get a car. Like, everybody came in, and, like, somebody got a car, and they're, like, oh, I wish I was that person. And she was, like, you're all that person. Everybody gets a car, right? And everybody just goes nuts with that. And then they're, like, I wish I'd have been there that day, right? I started looking at some stats. And so in 2009, she gave $40 million to charity. $40 million. That's amazing, y'all. It's, that's 13% of her annual income of $300 million. This is in 2009, right? She probably makes more now. So, like, we, we hear that and we go, holy cow, like, sh that's so generous. And it is. But it was only 2.9% of her, I'm sorry, it was only a fraction of her $2.9 billion net worth. So she only gave away, like, a, just a little over 1% of her net worth. Again, we, we get caught up with these big numbers, right? We hear these stories where, like, people give so much money. And it's because we have no idea. Like, when you're a billionaire, you got a lot of money. You can give away a million and not ever feel it. 
Like, that's like us losing a dime in the couch cushion, right? And some of y'all, even today, are holding on to that dime pretty doggone hard. I can feel it. I can feel it. But I'm going to work through it. We're going to work through it, and you're going to give it. So it's going to be great. Check this out. That was in 2009. In 2011, Michael Bloomberg, who was the mayor of New York City, gave away Oprah Winfrey's salary. I mean, no, no. She kept her salary. He didn't, like, take it from her. But she, her salary was $300 million. He gave away $311 million in one year. Don't you want to be his friend? Are you feeling it? I'm feeling that. Like, sir, you should join our church, right? <laughs> It'd be great. What is the tithe on that? I don't even know. But check this out. He was the fifth most generous person in America that year. And as staggering as that is, it was only 1.5% of his $19.5 billion net worth. Now, I'm not saying that to say that those people are bad. I'd like to see more people give away stuff like that. What I am saying is that sometimes we hear those big numbers and we just think, oh, my, I could never do that. I could never pull off something like that. But I'm telling you right now, if you're tithing at 10%, you're giving more than they did percentage-wise. This is why Jesus was blown away with the woman who gave away two coins because it's all she had. She, she gave away 100% of her net worth. And if, if Jesus was bringing people in here to do awards, I don't know if Jesus would ever do an award show. I mean, I know in heaven we're going to get rewards, but, like, I don't know. But Jesus would award, he would give the award to the woman. And then Michael Bloomberg, who gave away $311 million in one year, would be like, what, am I chump change? And Jesus would say, well, like, percentage-wise, yeah, because she gave 100%. Just, it was just little. We don't, we don't value the little things. And generosity is never about the amount it's never about the affluence. It's always about the attitude, the attitude of humility that recognizes I have always had a need and Jesus has always met it. So let, let's, let's talk about our need. We were his enemies and he died for us. We needed the gospel. We still do. I'm going to read a couple verses and it's going to get, you think it's quiet now. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be so quiet after these verses. These are not the ones that go on coffee mugs. Are you ready? <laughs> Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. All means you and the person next to you, right? All of us. Genesis 8.21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, must have been coffee, <laughs> and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And all the parents said amen, right? This is why you never taught your kids how to say no. Like they know, right? That's why you teach them how to share. You never have to teach them how to be selfish, right? It just comes naturally. It's in our heart. It's who we are. 
Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek God, but all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Let me just say this, too, so we don't get too far down here. The good news is that the heart wasn't beyond cure. Like This is Old Testament prophet looking towards hope, towards Jesus. And we know now from the cross that, our, I mean, my heart is being healed, right? But my heart is also still deceitful I, because I need Jesus. I still need the gospel, right? We need the gospel. And when we're aware of our need, it can open the door to some amazing acts of generosity toward other people who also have need. Ecclesiastes 9.3. Did y'all get all those written down if you're writing? Close enough. Wendy will ask me later. I think you might be the only note taker, but good job. This is that's why you're married to me. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. Listen, the hearts of people, moreover, are full of sunshine and butterflies. Now, my translation says evil, y'all. <laughs> the hearts are full of evil. That's what it's in the Bible. And there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Boy, that's definitely not a coffee cup mug. I'm a coffee mug versed at all. That was awful. Can we say that? The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and then they join the dead. Well, that was so encouraging, right? Oh, my gosh. Now, check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. All of this is to help us see that we have a need. We never outgrow our need of the gospel, y'all. And when I live humbly knowing that I need Jesus, it makes it a whole lot harder to judge other people who have need. I, I'm just making sure that I'm getting this across. When I first started running, I can remember um, driving my car up, like, down a hill, and I would see somebody walking up the hill, and I would always say to myself, boy, they're a bad runner. <laughs> Look at them. They're just walking. You know, they're, they're not even running, just walking. And, but then when I started running, and I was going up the hill, and I needed to take a break, when I started running, I started having a lot more compassion for people that I saw walking on the side of the road. Because I realized like, they might be tired. They might be in an interval where they're walking so they can start running again. It's just my whole perspective changed. This is why, and I know we're harping on homeless, but it's just an easy thing for us to understand. That's why when you see somebody that's homeless or you see somebody holding a sign, when I see those people, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what's the first thing that goes through our mind? And if the first thing that goes through our mind is they need to get a job, that says something about us. It might be true, but they might need help getting a job, right? My judgment's not going to get them a job. I might need to help them figure out how to fill out an application so they can get a job right? Again, I'm not condemning you or them. I'm just saying we should pay attention to what, we go, what goes through our mind. 
And when we recognize that we have a need, a never-ending need of the goodness and grace of God, it changes our perspective, doesn't it, when we see other people. So while Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, we're going to start working towards the good news, and then we'll, we'll watch a video, and then we'll give our money away. This will be great. I mean, it's the only time I ask you for money, so I'm going to ask a lot, right? It's the only time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through I'll read this, and I'll tell you a story. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I remember sitting in a Bible study that I was leading at Pfeiffer University, and I read those verses, right? And then um, later in the study, I asked one of, the, one of the other students to read the same passage again. And so when they read it, they read it like this. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither idolaters, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and when they got done reading it, like one of the other college students said, what, what version was that? Yours sounded different than the one Paul read from. I like your version better. And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm reading from the NIV, but I just left out the ones I, that I, don't, I didn't think should be there. I don't know what you would have done if you'd have been the Bible study leader, but I just took a deep breath and I said this, listen, we can't choose the bad, but if we ignore the bad, we don't get to verse 11 where it says that's what some of you were. We can't afford to forget what we were because that's what points to who we are now. Like I was this way. This is from the chosen, right? I was one way, and now I'm another way. And the only thing is, the difference was him, right? That's what I was. This is who I am. And we got too many Christians who never want to think about what they were, and you've lost a huge part of the power of your testimony. We can't forget that we needed the gospel then, and I, I still need the gospel, y'all. We, we still need the gospel. We're never going to outgrow the gospel. And right now what you're thinking is like, this is the weirdest giving sermon ever. I just want you to remember that you've received freely. The grace of God given to you, lavished on you and lavished on me, it makes no sense. Jesus died for me when I was killing him. I've said it so many times, like you've heard Preachers say if you were the only one on earth, Jesus would have died for you. But if you were the only one on earth, you would have put the thorns on his head. You would have beat him. You would have, you would have nailed him to the cross. You would have had to do all those things that you think bad people do. And he still would have died. That's the full gospel. And we haven't become so good now that we don't need to remember that. And when we remember that that's what we were, 
And that that's what he did for us then, and he continues to give us grace now. It changes the way we give things away. It changes how we steward the glory. We can't go, well, God, thank you because I, I deserve this. Thank you for the award of your glory. And now I will keep it all to myself. He's like, no. And we will talk about that some more in the next couple of weeks. Like, how does he get the glory through us and to people? Oh, my gosh. Just oh, think, think biscuit dough. Okay, we'll talk about that some more in the coming weeks. That's, that's how he gets it through us, right? He presses it through us, the weight of his glory. But he wants to get it through us. And until we recognize that we didn't deserve it and that those people need it just like we did, we will want to keep it to ourselves and have a big old gospel party. And then we will leave church cranky because the preacher preached too long. I recognize that can happen. And some of you are like every week, right? And then we go to eat and we take it out on the server when we're supposed to be marked by gratuity. Because freely we've received, now freely give. Okay, can we get that video ready? And, and I'm going to show you a video, and I'm going to read you a quote, and then we're going we're gonna to end this by giving. Again, the greatest acts of generosity flow from the greatest awareness of need. And I found, I found this video. It's a couple years old. I love this. You're going to fall in love with the guy that this is about, and you're going to fall in love with what people did for him. Let's go ahead and roll that.
What I love about that story is that it was just a lot of people giving a little bit, which is something that we've wanted to do from the very beginning. We recognize that we could, and maybe I'm supposed to, as a pastor, go do a lot of fundraising and ask rich people to give. I do think that that's scriptural. The Bible says that we're supposed to command those who are wealthy to do good with their money. I would just say to you that if you make $45,000 as a family or more, you are in the richest 1% of the world. So I would consider you wealthy. So I will command you to do good with your money. And the good that I want you to do is I want you to give $25 a person to the big give so that we can pay people's power bills, so that we can support nonprofits, so that we can help single parents, so that we can bring glory to God. That's what our verses mean, that generosity from you through us, when we give that generosity away, results in praise to God. Here's a quote from a man that you may, may maybe have never heard of. His name was Tertullian. He was a second century historian. You're like, that's why I've never heard of him. I don't like history. Listen to what he said about how the gospel grew in his culture. He said, unlike members of other clubs and societies that collected dues and fees to pay for feasts, members of the Christian family contribute money voluntarily to a common fund to support orphans abandoned in the streets and garbage dumps. Christian groups brought food, medicine, and companionship to prisoners forced to work in mines, banished to prison islands, or held in jail. Christians even bought coffins and dug graves to bury the poor and criminals whose corpses would otherwise lie unburied beyond the city gates. This is still him talking. Such generosity which ordinarily could be expected only from one's own family, attracted crowds of newcomers to Christian groups despite the risk. I will say this slowly so that it sinks in. The Sunday morning show will not attract the world to Christianity. But Christians who live generous lives will. We want to know why the church has lost influence in culture. Look no further than what we don't give away. And in, unless we buy the narrative, and I don't want you to buy the narrative, that Christian and churches are horrible places. Christians adopt at a rate twice as fast as culture. Christians support generously amazing work around the globe christians are generous the question is can we be more generous can we be like the macedonians who didn't just give when they were able but gave more than they were able can we this year make sure that we give something that might hurt us a little bit but if all of us give it together what could god do he could do in our city what tertullian just wrote about and people could say stuff like, are you going to have hot chocolate? 
Or what I would love to hear even more is, hey, this year, is your church going to pay power bills? Because I've got a neighbor who needs their power bill paid. Well, yeah, do you go to our church? No, no, I just heard about it. (laughs) Then, yes, let's get your neighbor signed up because our church will take care of that. You make that happen every single year. $52,000 since we started doing this, it's all been given away. I can't wait until we do that in one year, right? But until that day comes, here's how we're going to respond this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. We're going to stand up to go eat like we normally do, except this time you're going to see a QR code up on that screen. And if you want to give digitally, you just use your camera, as you all know. Y'all know what TikTok is, too, so you know how to do this stuff. Just point your camera on your phone towards that QR code. Open up that what the web page it links to. It's already on the big give. Give the amount you want to give. Hit a button. Go eat. If you want to give here in person, grab an offering envelope. They're on the offering boxes, and just you can fill out your name all you want. Just put the big give on there so we know that it's for that, okay? And then drop it in the box, and then we'll count it and give it away. Simple, right? Super easy. All right, let's stand together. Come on, we're going to pray, and we're going to go give. Let me say one last thing. You're like, ah, you said, you said five last things. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. I just want to make sure you hear this because some of you, we've talked about money so much today that I've, I've actually probably helped concrete your narrative that churches only want money. So let me just unconcrete it with this last statement. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. If there's any part of this message that makes you feel manipulated or under compulsion to give, keep your money. We don't want it. God will not take money from a grump, okay? He loves a cheerful giver. So if you, I mean, I'm saying this just to set you free. If you can't cheerfully give to this offering, then don't give. It's fine. It's completely okay. Because we want God to do a work in our hearts so that we, we get to give, right? And that's okay. You do what you can, whatever amount you can give that you can smile while you're still giving it, give that amount, but not a dollar over, okay? We don't want to force anybody to give anything at all. We just want to give you the opportunity to be a part of it. So, Father, right now in your name, Jesus, we just say, come, God, and take our money. Like, come take this gift that we give, God. It's not called a big give because one person is going to write a check. It's called a big give because when we all do something small, together it becomes big. And then we give it to you, and you multiply it. I don't know how you do it. I've never understood it, God. But we're just able to do so much with this offering. Thank you for allowing us, God, to not take a big end-of-the-year offering that's about us, but to take one that we can give away. So bless your people as they give. Bless us as we eat this food, God. I pray that today's offering would fill us with joy because that's what this season's all about anyway. We thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, that's it. Go eat. Give all the things. We love you guys. Thanks for being part of this.